Hello and welcome to the Enough Said podcast, brought to you by the Registered Charity for Mental Health Independent New Ham Users Forum, also known as Enough. Enough is based in the heart of East London in Stratford and we provide services that include advocacy, volunteering and even activity and lifestyle choices including men's groups, women's groups, football training, yoga and much more besides including well-being workshops. Today we're recording a podcast live from Ithaca House and we are joined by our co-presenter, co-presenter Michael Ahan. Hi. And we're recorded uh, by Denise Yard and we have a new expert guest on the show today by the name of Olivia Matardi. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me on. Now, Olivia, uh, we're here today, we've invited you to talk about how mental health and stigma are dealt with on social media. But before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about more about who you are and what you do? Okay, um, so I'm a graduate psychologist. Um, recently, I've been consulting in health psychology, helping people quit smoking using cognitive behavioral therapy methods. Um, yeah, so I'm just breaking into the field really and I also write a lot about mental health and stigma and how that might operate in online settings. Okay, so you're quite into like modern day issues surrounding mental health at the moment then? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, social media is one of the biggest things affecting young people's mental health today. Um, because it is so widely used, um, like it's about 88% of teenagers mm. use social media and a similar percentage in um, 20 to 30 year olds. So we can't really ignore that as a phenomenon that's going on for people. Mm. And although it, it can't be all good or all bad, mm. there's definitely a role that it plays in our language and how we speak about mental health. I mean, is this because we've crossed over into an era or a timeline where we're now living alongside people who've never known life without the internet because it's always been there and it's always been part of their life and their culture and that's going against the grain of people who've lived before the internet and they don't... Is there like a, a disjointed communication between those two groups? So, um... I guess most health professionals are going to be older, so they won't have grown up with a screen in front of their eyes from mm. a young age. So whilst they're doing the mm. absolute best and excellent work to support young people with their mental health, it's really hard, I think, to relate between those two age groups. Um, so is the threshold like the over 30s and the under 30s at the moment? Is that what we're looking at? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of what the national statistics say, but... Um, social media is now increasingly popular with mature adults as well. It's mm. kind of, we're all part of it. Yeah. It's, it's in all our lives now. It's quite hard to escape it. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, there's social media in terms of um, Facebook and Twitter, where you're connecting with people on kind of a social level, but there's also um, social media on a business level, like LinkedIn, uh, for example. Mm. And do you think... The, the lines are being blurred about the purpose of uh, connecting with people online and 
what the ultimate outcome or goal is and how that serves people's mental health? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's probably a lot of levels to that, but one I can think of is that there's all this performance online. Social mm. media is all about how you look and how you come across. Mm. And if you're having to do that in both your personal life on Facebook and in your professional life on LinkedIn, mm. that's just so much anxiety mm. all the time. Um, I mean, I get anxious if yeah. I'm notified on my phone and it's all coming through all day. Yeah. Like it does, it gets to you, even if you don't consciously register it, I think it does get to people. Yeah. Because the thing is, Instagram has kind of like taken up a new place in people's mindset as uh, people living their so-called best life or ideal snapshots of them at their peak doing their favourite things all the time. And is it wrong that there isn't that balance of good days and bad days mm. in social media and people kind of present um, almost, I mean, there's, we're used to the idea of things being photoshopped but people are now carefully editing. There's so many different ways you can edit your profile, your image, uh, what you choose to put online and what stays online in case uh, somebody's offended by it. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's, it's, it's insane, isn't it? That we just, we don't know what's going on behind anything now. All we know is this surface level, pretty picture of somebody's success. We don't know like, the 90% of time where they failed behind that. Mm. And we don't know if somebody posts a picture of their wonderful holiday. We don't mm. actually know, you know, the trouble they had getting there or mm. if they had a fight with their partner while they were there. I mean, I mean mm. we, we shouldn't necessarily know that, but yeah. it does having the, the pretty part put online all the time. I think it just makes everybody's expectations really high of themselves. Yeah. And we can't just have an average day yeah. anymore. I mean, one thing I've, I've found interesting about um, uh, people online is the fact that uh, like the ho there's a traditional holiday photo now where people do the, the photograph of the feet on the beach with the mm -hmm. horizon in the distance. And it feels like now uh, we're living in a time where people don't feel like they've been on holiday until they get certain picture-perfect snapshots that they can tell everyone else to make it real that they've been on a fantastic holiday. Where, where do you think that comes from? Well, I guess, um, so the psychologist Daniel Kahneman talks about your experiencing self and your remembering self. Uh, so your experiencing self is the person that's in the now enjoying something and your remembering self is the person that sees the photo in 10 years time and thinks, oh, that was great. Mm. Um, and because of social media, we, we kind of glorify our remembering self mm. and we're constantly trying to make a memory Mm. rather than living it at the time yeah and I mean I love going through old photos it's definitely a nice experience and yeah. it can really bring you together with like family and stuff if you get out the photo album yeah but I think it's now we're like Instagramming our breakfasts yeah like that's that's too much yeah I think and, is, and because it, is it it's like we're, we're having to hyper inform people about who we are and what we do and yeah. what our brand is perhaps yeah it's all about like identity and yeah we're, we're branding ourselves and that's really stressful if you think about it to do all the time um it's bad enough just having to do that in your professional life without having to mm. do it in your personal life 
Yeah. I mean, is there an issue as well, because we were talking about photographs being used for individuals in terms of memory mm. and uh, reminding themselves in terms of nostalgia about when they had good times. Do you think the purpose of photographs are now changing because we're putting things online so quickly or so immediately or so instantly after it's happened? For example, people who record concerts rather than being in the moment of a live concert but they're there filming it or people um, like constantly taking selfies. Is there an issue where they're no longer kind of taking a photograph for their level sense of self-awareness but it's on gratitude but it's more for an audience so they're kind of feeding some kind of beast as it were that will never be sated sure yeah i i think it is a lot about that um and again that's you're neglecting your experiencing self and i think that's what the mindfulness movement at the moment is all about it's a backlash to what social media's created which is this whole performance thing um and i think it's really important to remember to enjoy the moment mm. and a lot of it, a lot of us are losing that sense but there's actually um, evidence that the use of social media is starting to plateau at mm. the moment not decrease but mm. I think people are realizing this is taking up two hours of my day just yeah. scrolling through yeah. social media do I want to be doing that with my time yeah. and then you know, people have meetups now where they all put their phones in the middle oh, wow. and nobody touches them. Like, that sort of thing is becoming trendy. Like, if you read Time Out, like, there's lots of events like that coming So up to just hang out and put the smartphones on a table and just not touch them for yeah, the rest yeah. of the evening? Yeah, I've seen, um, I've seen, I've done that myself, actually, with, with some friends before, and it was really nice. So is there a name for that type of group? I'm sure there is, but I don't yeah. know. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I just think that's an extreme example, but... It's, it's of what people have to I do I think now. it's what people have to do to mm. not look at their phone. So do you think uh, uh, the people who run these websites and social, like the social media giants of Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, do, do you think they've got a responsibility of perhaps the layout or the way they redesign their uh, portals to make people kind of less addictive or reactive to these social media? Yeah, that's, I think that's a difficult question, but yeah, we do know that the, they are designed to be addictive currently. Okay. Like we're designed to have a dopamine hit in our brain every time we click yeah. on a like on Facebook or mm. whatever, whatever social media platform it's on, that, that's all designed in that way to keep you, keep you scrolling and keep you looking at it. And I think to not do that, you have to be really disciplined. Yeah. Um, like I have a no scroll rule on Facebook. I'm okay. only allowed to look at the top post, yeah. but it's hard. Like I want to scroll down, and yeah. I don't know why. Like I don't ever mm. feel better yeah. after having scrolled down and yeah. clicked on another senseless post about. Like I mean, as much as I like looking at a fluffy cat, yeah, I don't think it's <clears throat> adding to my day that much all the time. Yeah, because the thing is, the function of like social media, particularly on like smartphones and iPhones, it used to be you could just look at one page and then that was it. You had to click onto another page for that to mm. open. But now yeah, there's that endless scrolling stream where the, the bottom never ends, and yeah. so to speak. And I mean, why has that suddenly become the popular and addictive thing that we can't get away from? I don't know, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I think it's, it's about dopamine. It's about the fear of missing out, okay. definitely. Oh, what they call FOMO. FOMO, FOMO. yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> definitely. Um, I think 
it's hard to remove yourself from that world if you mm. think that everyone else is on it. Even if everyone else is kind of suffering in that world, mm. it's still hard to, to not be in it and mm. to just, like, Im imagine just deleting Facebook. I mean, people do it. People go on, like, social media cleanses. Um, mm. But I think they then do suffer the fear of missing out. Um, like, I read a study recently, and it was like, five days is great. Yeah. Um, to be without social media, but after that point, people actually do start to feel low. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a bad thing. Maybe that's just a process they've got to go through. But yeah. I think the person writing it was probably biased towards the use of social media. Sure. Um, Is that because people uh, are genuinely experiencing social isolation from using social media? Yeah, uh, maybe. I think social media in itself can cause social isolation because you you feel superficially that you've got that social interaction if you're sending messages mm. but it, it really isn't the same as an in-person interaction and it, particularly if you're quite shy or reserved and it's quite hard for you to get out of the house and see other people mm. you may use social media as something to hide behind so it's and, like a crutch almost yeah and then you don't get that exposure that would maybe help you overcome your shyness mm. and um, I think people with particular mental health problems like social anxiety might yeah. definitely suffer more in that area because they, they're thinking they have that interaction but it's not meaningful and it's not, it's not like you can't feel the hugs wow. and you can't. I mean, that's almost like having some kind of an individual having a prison where they're both prisoner and warden and they're like key holders to their ability to get in and out of yeah. this trap of, um, being socially available online, but not really making connections. I think that's a really good analogy, actually. Yeah, I think that's the case for a lot of people. And it definitely can help connect in some ways. Like, I think whoever invented social media, mm. I mean, I presume Facebook came first, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think their intention was to connect people. Yeah. And to an extent it can, like, you may be able to reach somebody on the other side of the world that you wouldn't necessarily ever speak to again, maybe mm. somebody from school. Um, but at the same time, we can only maintain so many social relationships at once. Mm. And if we're wasting our energy on people that we can't have a meaningful face-to-face -face interaction with, mm. I think that's a shame. Like, mm. if you're neglecting those around you. Yeah. Um, like, I think people, used to just hang out, yeah. just like chill, like you just, I don't know, meet up in a cafe at a set time and you just sit and chat. But now everything is kind of optimized and you arrange things miles in advance and mm -hmm. your time feels like, for some reason, suddenly more mm. precious. And it means that you don't just chill out and hang out. Yeah. And that means every time you say you meet up with a friend, it's like this intense catch up, what's sure. going on with you? How's your job going? Da, da, da. And it's all that kind of... Because the pressure's on time yeah. as well. And then you don't get to the, the heart of things, the kind of more natural, naturally evolving conversation where you might get into something quite deep or something more mm. under the surface that's going on in your life because you don't have that time to just kind of break the ice. Sure. Uh, Michael, do you have any issues with like the use of social media in terms of connecting to people? I think it depends what you're using it for. Mm. 
if it's something important they're saying, then it's a good thing. Mm. If it's just nonsense, yeah. couldn't you just just lay down and meet them and tell them face to face? Sure. Okay, cool. And are there any organisations that are kind of dealing with like mindfulness and well-being in terms of how people interact with social media? I think we're getting there. Yeah. I think there is this huge push for mindfulness at the moment and a lot of mm. psychologists are training um, and advancing their therapeutic approach to include that. For example, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, there's now mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy that a yeah. lot of research is being done on if that works. Yeah. Um, I think the jury's still out, but um, yeah, I think it, it's urgent that we talk yeah. about it and think about it. And I think professionals and the general public are realizing that. And yeah. I think people are actually very smart and they will find ways yeah. to incorporate it in a more healthy way into their lives. Mm. What's difficult is that technology advances constantly. Yeah. So it's kind of hard for us all to keep up and yeah. to be healthy in the context of this constant change. Sure. Um, it's not like things move so much faster now than yeah. they used to, like humans evolved quite well yeah. before, but now we're like, we're slower than the things we've invented. We're slower than the things that we've invented. So okay. technology is getting away from us at the moment. Yeah, I think so. Is that because of like the advent of like things like 4G or like just we, we're consuming too many, we're creating too much that we can't consume it in time, in our lifetime? I think we're just creating really clever technology now. Okay. Um, that, Have you got any examples? Well, like search engine optimization, for mm. example, like people now know how to write an article that includes all the right terms. Mm. to make people click it more, to make it appear higher on Google. Like, we're, okay. everything is optimised. Mm. And I'm no techie, but yeah. I know that people use these kind of softwares to make things Algor move to really To beat the fast. algorithms. Yeah, yeah, algorithms, that's the word, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's not my area, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think everything is moving so fast and mm. it, it is really hard for us to keep up. You've come across an organisation uh, called YGAM. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that group and why they exist? Um, so YGAM are a um, charity that helps educate young people on the dangers of gambling and gaming. Mm. Um, and they train teachers in, um, in PSHE lessons that could help get that message down to schools. And I think they incorporate a lot of the dangers of technology because of the, the work on gaming. And do you think an organisation like YGAM uh, represents like a future of how we would be addressing like um, social media and mental health in future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think charities like that and movements like that are super important for because we need to get the messages down to young people because they're the ones that are going to have to face the struggles ultimately. Mm. Um, it's going to hit them the hardest. They've got the most vulnerable brains mm. that are changing the most at that age and very impressionable. So I think it is important that that age group gets educated on how to safely use technology, mm. whether that's in the context of gambling or mm. anything really. Because there's a, there's a term that's out there by, which is coined by I think a guy called Matt Haig, 
called uh, overstimulation and uh, coming from boredom and what does that mean in this context now with so social media? I think our brains, it's again with the evolution thing, like our brains haven't evolved to process this much information in this amount of time and mm. we're constantly bombarded with information all day now. Mm. Um, I don't think Notifications any, as well now. Yeah, yeah and just like I don't see people just sitting on public transport yeah. they're always on a game listening to something reading mm. something and whilst that's great like I love to listen to a good podcast on the tube like mm. I think there's a lot to be said to just being bored yeah I think that's the human time to be creative and that's when you have yeah. ideas is just like when you're chilling out and yeah having a think um I think that's why a lot of people say that good ideas come to them in the shower yeah because they're not necessarily got their phone, their phone in there with with them. Them. <laughs> the electronic device because they're with water yeah. around them yeah because we're in a situation now where it's like do people fit do you think people know that they're constantly filling their plate with information and consuming um ideas advice or noise that's not them sort of thing because like even like we you saying, like, listen to podcasts. I mean, some people can kind of binge podcasts now because that's what they need to get on a journey when they're commuting, but they mm. don't give themselves any, like, space to kind of just be quiet and think. No, that's me. That's you. That's Denise <laughs> yes, yes. pointing to herself. She fits into that category. Yeah, I think people might know they're overwhelmed yeah. and I think they might go to bed very tired, mm. but maybe they don't always know why. Yeah. And because social media is literally everywhere, it would be quite hard, I think, to separate that as the thing in your day that's made you feel overwhelmed and tired. Mm. Which, again, is why the education aspect is really important mm. for helping us all understand okay. that maybe there is a time we need to switch off. Um, mm. But I do think people are smart. Yeah. And I think people becoming more self-aware because of social media, like they're always listening to these self-improvement podcasts and mm. things that will enhance you and that's not necessarily a bad thing and I think people are starting to understand how they might remove themselves from that atmosphere of overstimulation. So um, do you think there's an illusion of support in social media as well? Yeah, I think with regards to mental health, whilst it's amazing that there's all this awareness and movements online like Time to Change and uh, Mental Health Awareness Week and all these other things going on. I think that there is definitely an illusion of support because um, these things are always telling people to get help, get help, get help. But I don't think society has the infrastructure necessarily to provide that help right now, even though it should. Um, and I think that can be quite a dangerous message to have in these campaigns. I think whilst they shouldn't have to, the public need to realise that they are going to have to make this help happen and join these campaigns and join the effort to make services more accessible and more of them in order to provide the mental health care that society mm. really needs. So what kind of uh, tips would you suggest can be done to kind of avoid that problem? I don't know. <laughs> it's too big a problem, I think. I think speaking about mental health is amazing. Podcasts like this are amazing. Um, getting more and more people from different areas to join the conversation is 
important. But at the end of the day, we need a new language to discuss mental health problems. It's, I don't even know if I like the term mental health problems because I don't even know if I would consider, for example, depression to be a health thing. I think it might be more of a problem of living and I, I don't know if it's good to medicalize it. But then again, what else do I call it? What else would make it a recognizable thing that people acknowledge without making it a medical thing? It's just so complicated and I think no one person has the answers and it's really important that we keep talking so that the language can evolve. And I think that is one of the advantages of social media in that that language is evolving really fast because everybody is having these amazing intelligent conversations online and providing support for each other. So it's very important that the language keeps up with the technology as well. Yeah, I and guess so. the fact that people are having the conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And are there any forums online where people are kind of talking about these issues now? I mean, there's tons of groups, um, support groups for people with mental health problems, a lot of them starting on Facebook. Um, and I think these can be a good thing, but I also do think that there's potentially danger there because if you've not got a professional in that setting, who knows what the conversation could escalate to and all these vulnerable people in one place. I don't know if that is necessarily safe and I think a lot of doctors become becoming concerned about that, about referring to these groups. Because um, okay. they're kind of, they're probably not signposting people and they kind of ended up being clusters of people seeking uh, peer support as an alternative to perhaps yeah. professional support. Yeah, and peer support can be really valuable but you can have dangerous situations where somebody says, oh, just flush your meds. And yeah. then somebody who's been on yeah. a, a certain drug for years and years and years suddenly stops taking it. That's really dangerous. Yeah. If you, you, know, you, you need to see a doctor if you're going to reduce your medication. Mm -hmm. Situations like that can arise yeah. in this kind of escalated online setting. Because it's more likely that people can start thinking like one size fits all and an anecdote becomes yeah. a prescription. For, an anecdote from one person becomes a prescription for somebody else. Yeah, definitely. I think that that can happen. Um, but there are some more sort of regulated apps being produced at the moment. So there's one called Wiser, which is similar in the interface to WhatsApp, but you kind of talk to a robot. How do you spell that app? Uh, W-Y-S-A. Wiser, okay. Yeah. And um, that's, uh, it's, we've got a Wiser, your 4am friend and AI life coach, is that the yeah, one? Yeah, that's the one. Okay. I mean, I've used it recently um, just <clears> to give it, a, see what it was like and it, it's okay. Um, I think. So what does it let you do? Because I'm looking at a penguin on a cloud. Here, yeah, you talk to a, a penguin and you, you, it asks you how you're feeling and it signposts okay. you to kind of some mindfulness exercises, maybe some exercise or... There's a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy in there, but I don't necessarily think I trust that side of it. Okay. Um, I, I had a go and it, it kind of was a bit basic and it kept yeah. repeat, accidentally repeating phrases and not understanding necessarily complex things. But I okay. think for like basic anxieties wow. and stress, maybe it's quite useful. Yeah. Um, and they have, like they keep saying, you, if you need to see a psychologist, please do. Like they're yeah. saying this is not a replacement for professional help. And yeah. I think that's an important message. 
And um, are there a lot of organizations, is there a lot of websites or apps like Wisa? I think it's becoming a big thing now. I think there's such a demand oh. for it and people, we're used to being like, because of social media, we're used to being able to quickly access things. Yeah. And I think people may be thinking, oh, I've got some anxiety, yeah. I'll get an app. In the same way, it's, <laughs> oh, I need to lose a few pounds, I'll get a fitness app. Yeah. And that's great, but I don't think <laughs> most mental health problems are kind of like something you can fix with an app. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, yeah, I, I've, I've got issues where I've got to keep fit more often than I, now than when I was younger. And um, I think I must have downloaded some kind of fitness app and I've muted it. And it keeps giving me reminders saying, you need to exercise now. But <laughs> what's happening now is... I'm not, it's not making me exercise more, it's making me exercise less. All I'm doing is like switching off the app and putting it on yeah. silent, seeing the thing just flashing at me. So it's like an annoying uh, bug in the phone. But um, this kind of Wiser um, app, is there a new phrase or term for what they call? Because it's not personal development, is it? No, I think it's just a mental or, health app. I think that's what people are calling it. So, not, so we've got productivity apps, we've got personal development apps development apps and there's a new wave of mental health apps that are coming yeah. out now yeah and i think gps are starting to recommend these because okay. the burden is so high on the nhs that mm. they're often saying just maybe check out this app really? um i think they're trying why is that conversation happening is that because that's a language the doctors think their patients understand or is it really just there's a weight on the system i think it's a bit of both okay. actually i think they're taking advantage of the fact that there is all this amazing new technology to try and mm. relieve a huge systemic problem with burden. Mm. Um, and whilst I think it's nice to have ways to cope, maybe mm. while you're waiting to see a psychologist, because waiting lists are so long, I think it is good to have ways to cope in the meantime, um, mm. like these apps. Um, if, for example, if you've got obsessive compulsive disorder, you might have to wait six months to see a specialist, cognitive behavioral therapist. Um, and once you get to that treatment, that's great. But in the meantime, you've, you've got to be able to cope. And I think having some way to manage stress in the meantime is quite good. And these apps are good for that. But I don't think an app can resolve complex mm. cognitive problems like sure. obsessions and compulsions are really, you need to be able to speak to a person, I think. Okay. Because in an earlier episode, uh, Michael had mentioned about the possibility of virtual reality coming in as a way of interacting with therapists and psychologists who might be around the world but not physically available to that patient at that time so it means somebody going into a booth and um, I'm not sure well, Michael might be able to let me know a bit more it about might just be like a headset okay and it's connected to your f to like a smartphone okay and so it could be that you just, you have like a half an hour session, you can put the background, whatever you want, to make it more relaxing. So do you think, yeah, because I think it's a, there's something called Oxford VR, where it's raising money for, I think, £3.2 million, pounds, I'm, I'm reading this off the internet, and uh, for the development of uh, virtual reality psychological therapies. And this was an article written in, September 2018, but I'm sure they're probably well on their way to kind of spending that money and developing this as a future way to access uh, therapeutic 
care. So, I mean, what's your opinion on like something like this happening, like your, your VR therapist? Well, this is quite new to me, actually. Um, I don't think I could say more without reading more, but I think okay. it sounds really interesting. And if there are ways that we can mm. use technology in a good way to help yeah. mental health, like that's always good, yeah. in my opinion. We need to digitise our psychologists and download them <laughs> on the internet now. Well, um, I've done digital CBT coaching, okay. but obviously like I'm on the other side of the conversation. How does digital CBT coaching work? Well, so I've been uh, doing it to help people quit smoking um, and they might send me a message on a special app um, asking how, you know, how I can help them and if they have, I can help them figure out what maybe might be triggering them to smoke. Is it stress? Um, mm. Is it sadness? Is it loneliness? Um, um, is it socialising? Do your friends smoke? And then I can help them break down those triggers. Mm. Um, but I think that might be a different thing because I'm, I'm physically there answering the message. I'm not, mm. it's not a AI answer. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a slightly different thing. I mean, with you, in terms of making yourself available to do that is that an availability where they can get you 24 7 and then you respond or is it a thing where you've got set hours or they have to block an appointment to get the digital cbt work so it's quite fluid um i'm, I'm not doing it at the moment it's my okay. most recent post um but yeah we we would have i'd, I'd work sort of nine to five mm. and i would answer in those hours and okay. then um I was talking to people all over the world, so obviously the time difference could be an issue. Yeah. Um, so I just replied when I could, and it was more like, a, I guess, an email sort of situation. Wow. So, um, and I think there is something about that kind of availability yeah. that is quite stressful as a professional. Yeah, because does that water down the therapy, or does that make, you, you kind of have to jump from pillar to post, maybe? Yeah, so it's quite hard. Um, not knowing that I can't help people 24 hours a day mm. and nobody can mm. and I think that is again speaking of the burden on health professionals I think social media adjusts people's expectations and how fast they can be helped and it makes yeah. people impatient and like there's an irrational expectation yeah. of these services should be available instantly because yeah. I've got an electronic connection to this person, so why aren't they answering it? Yeah, I think oh. it's easy to forget the other person on the other end is a person. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's a, something that would need to be addressed. If mm. there was to become a more sustainable way of using therapy digitally, if this was to become a common thing, we'd have to find solutions. Just uh, to help us wrap up, what would be maybe three solutions or suggestions that you could make? for anyone listening to this episode now? So I guess just um, experiment, um, because there's lots of ways, a lot of people don't actually struggle with the phone and their mental health, like they might actually find it nice. Um, I don't know, I can't necessarily relate to that. I find my phone is hard. <laughs> yeah. But um, so personally, I would say that the no scroll rule has been great. Okay. Um, so no scroll rules, number one. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's just minimised the time I spend on Facebook and it means I just have more time for other things. Mm. And I think it's just about experimenting with your state of mind and your technology and seeing what makes you feel good and what doesn't and adjusting according to that. Mm. Um, just reflect on it, think about it. 
yeah. maybe turn off your phone and see how you feel. See, see what happens if you leave your phone in a different room yeah. for a day. Wow. See, see how you feel. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people find they feel amazing. So, yeah. so yeah. that means the app should be shortened for appropriate rather than application. So like more appropriate use of the phone. Yeah, and social yeah. Media. I think social media is not good or bad, and it's like like anything. It can es it can it can be good or bad, and because it's so fast and so instant, it can escalate anything, whether that is good or bad. So it can escalate a really cool movement to break down stigma, but mm. it can also escalate somebody's bad mental health symptoms. Mm. Um, I think it's just about using it in the right way mm. and figuring that out. Okay. And is there any other thing that you we you could suggest that uh, any of our listeners do to make better use of social media? Um, I guess, and like I said, just experiment, switch yeah. off, um, try maybe try the thing where you meet up with your friends and all leave your phone in the middle. Okay, okay. See how that works out, and if that improves your evening, like see how everyone feels, talk to people. Cool. Yeah. Right. So we get back to talking to people face to face rather than just over texting. Yeah. Cool. Nice one. I really appreciate that. Um, thanks for coming on to the show. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your work and like what you do when you're not recording podcasts? Um, so I'm a psychologist trying to break into a, into the field basically, um, and I've done a bit of CBT and. I'd like to try out some other types of therapy and I also write a lot okay. and if you want to check out my website it's www.oliviamatardi.com um, and I blog about mental health issues and coping and general health as well. Okay, thank you very much for that, really appreciate that. So thanks for coming into the show. Thank you. Hopefully we can have you on again another time. Thank you for having me. And thank you again for your... No problem. Uh, and we've been ably recorded by Denise Yard on, on the sound engineering. Uh, I've been Trevor, your host, and we have been Enough Said, and this has been the podcast by the Registered Charity for Mental Health, which is improving mental health recovery in Newham and providing support, advice and recovery strategies for Newham-based residents who are either affected by a mental health condition as a carer, relative, service user or survivor. If you'd like to know more about the charity, how it works and how it operates, you can get in touch with us via social media, which is Facebook, at Enough Mental Health, Instagram at enough underscore mh or Twitter at enough underscore the charity or simply pop onto the website and find out more about how you could join up as a member and what we do via www.inuf.org. Thank you very much.